You're tuned into The Plan Podcast, episode number eight. And today we are going to be talking about downsizing, and I'm sharing a little bit of our experience with you. So just 18 months ago, Josh and I lived in a 2,200 square foot home. We had four bedrooms, three bathrooms, honestly, like more space than we really had any idea what to do with. Fast forward to today, and we live in about 725 square feet, and we have reduced our belongings by about 80%. And honestly, sometimes that 700 square feet it almost feels too big. There is a quote that I saw recently on the internet, and I wanted to start today's episode with it because it just really stuck with me. And the quote was, look around you, all of that stuff, it used to be money. If that quote kind of punches you right in the gut, then I think that today's episode is for you. Whether you are relocating, downsizing into a smaller living space, or maybe just want to reclutter your home, or simply want to focus on buying less stuff, today's episode, I think, hopefully, will help you learn how to live with less stuff and more happiness. So let's get started. Thanks for tuning in to The Plan Podcast. We don't know everything, but we're putting together a plan to figure it out, one topic, an episode at a time. If your goal is to live better, do better, or be better, then this is the podcast for you. So grab your favorite pen, folks, and let's make some plans with your host, Danny Bruflot from Time is Honey. All right, Danny, let's get planning. So today I am coming at you from our home in Copenhagen, Denmark, and it's just really interesting for me to sit here and just kind of look around and think about, I guess, how different life is now compared to about 18 months ago. So not only do we live in a foreign country now, but we just own so much less stuff. And it has been so freeing to realize that stuff does not equal happiness. And I guess just kind of realizing how little you can live with and still be completely happy, if not happier. And I think a lot of us fail to realize that the stuff we own takes up space, not only in our home, but also in our brains. It's like um, physical clutter, can often feel like mental clutter. I hope that that kind of makes sense. It just weighs us down. And again, not just physically, but also mentally. So as I mentioned, previously we had lived in a pretty big house. It was about 2,200 square feet. And although, I I mean, for the most part, I've always been pretty organized and clutter has always kind of driven me nuts. And so I would say our home was pretty clutter-free, pretty organized. But I still look back and think about how much stuff we owned. You know, every room had stuff in it. We had two guest bedrooms that both had beds and all of the basics. We had a garage full of stuff. We had a storage room with stuff. We had all of the yard stuff, all of that. And honestly, looking back, I have a hard time even recalling what the heck it was that we owned and what was filling the house. Um... Because when it came down to it, when we downsized, we ended up putting everything that was important to us into nine boxes, putting it onto an airplane and moving it across the Atlantic Ocean. And so it's just, yeah, crazy to me to think that we had 
2,200 square feet full of stuff, and we put it all into nine boxes. And now here we are in Copenhagen. We have 725 square feet, and honestly, it feels too big to us sometimes. So just kind of nuts. But in today's podcast, I've just kind of broken down what I've learned through this process and hopefully made it easy for you to kind of digest and given you a place where you could start if you are interested in kind of downsizing, purging, getting rid of some of your belongings to make room physically and mentally. So what I did was break today's tips down into three categories, preparation, sorting, and making decisions. This is kind of the stuff you need to start doing if you want to reduce what you own. And then the next steps after these might be selling your stuff, having a sale of some sort, or actually packing up and moving. Clearly, that would be a lot for one podcast episode, and I feel like it would just overwhelm you, which is not the point here at all. So today, we're just focusing on the purging aspect. I feel like that's a good theme going into the new year. Maybe it'll motivate you to start 2019 with less crap in your house. But let me know if you are the type of person that is interested on maybe a podcast episode about how I sold stuff online. Um, When we moved, we made over $8,000 selling stuff. So let me know if that's a topic that you're interested in. And even if you want tips for moving, um, I'd be happy to expand on some of that sometime also. Anyways, going through this process taught me so much, and I'm really excited to share some of it with you today, starting with the preparation process. Preparation is pretty vital here because you want to be efficient and effective, and going into it unprepared can kind of crush both of those things. So when it comes to sorting, purging, and downsizing, we can tend to kind of get ahead of ourselves and just kind of rip things out of a closet, rip things out of a room without much of a plan in place. And in my opinion, it just leaves to a state of overwhelm. We end up with like a gigantic mess and eventually we just kind of walk away from it and then end up living with even more mess and clutter. So going out it without much of a plan, ineffective. So these are just a few tips that I recommend to kind of keep you on track. The first one is to get a calendar and just kind of set up a schedule that has some clear goals on it. So depending on the scope of your project, whether it's you're selling most of what you own and moving to a new home or a new city, or maybe you're just trying to clean out that coat closet finally, um, it's just going to depend on the scope of your project. But this might take a couple hours, it might take a day, maybe a week, maybe a month, who knows. So just put your goals down, use some type of calendar or maybe an hour by hour daily breakdown and set goals for where you want to be at a specific time. I think the easiest way to explain this is maybe to kind of walk you through what we did. Um, But when we sold our house, we had a plan that spanned about five weeks and it went from, I think it was like five weeks out from our closing date. Um, So what we did was planned a moving sale for two weekends prior to our move. And that gave us about three weeks to kind of sort through the entire house, which seems like a big project when you think of um, going from 2,200 square feet. At that time, we went down to 1,100 square feet. And now we're in 725. And so we had a lot of things that needed to get moved, thrown away, donated, or sold. Um, so it gave us three weeks to do it. So what we did was took literally took out a paper calendar. We looked at those three weeks and we basically broke it up into segments of three to four day chunks and gave ourselves goals. So at the end of that first three to four day period, we wanted, you know, the kitchen, the living room, and 
maybe the the hallway and entryway cleared out, which meant they're empty, they're packed up, everything's labeled, things are taken where they're supposed to be. So we had these clear periods of time, what rooms we wanted kind of finished and completed at the end of each of those periods. And at the end of each one of those little phases, we would make a trip to the recycling center, the donation center, and we'd make time to label and price things. Um, so each part of the house was kind of done in segments. And so get a calendar, set some clear goals. My second tip is to look into the best places to donate items. A lot of us just kind of go to a default place like the Salvation Army or Goodwill. But one thing that I learned when we did downsizing is that there's all these organizations and places within communities that take specialized items and also do special things with the items that they receive. So a couple of examples of places that we found were um, a Syrian refugee resettlement program in Madison that was taking specific things such as kitchen items, um, some bedding items, dressers, stuff like that. So there are a lot of things that we are going to get rid of that we could donate to that program, which is great. I also donated a lot of clothes and shoes and coats to a women's shelter. Um, we donated um, old dog beds, crates, gates, uh, extra collars and stuff that we had from when we used to do dog fostering took all of that to a local dog rescue that was able to use it. And then I also donated my wedding dress to an organization that remakes them into, this is kind of sad, but little burial grounds for, unfortunately, babies or stillborn babies. Um, so just kind of connecting with these types of organizations helps ensure that certain items that you're going to get rid of go directly to people who need them. And it also makes it a little easier to part with them. Like it was way easier for me to get rid of my wedding dress knowing that it was going to an organization that was going to use it and that it was going to be used for something good. Um, wasn't something that I wanted to hold on to, but definitely made the decision much easier. My third tip is to research the best ways to sell things online in your area. Um, this might be a local newspaper website, a Facebook sale group. There's lots of those and they're awesome. Or perhaps a website that's available just for your neighborhood. So kind of a neighborhood website that somebody in your community is maintaining. Sometimes you need to request to join these types of groups and, you know, how that goes. It can always take a couple of days to get approval and all that. So do it ahead of time so that you're already joined and connected to those types of sale websites beforehand. My final tip here is consider having a garage or yard sale. Now, this is becoming less and less necessary as online selling becomes more popular and more uh, accessible. Um, I think it would be easy now to sell pretty much everything online. It just kind of depends on how tech savvy you are. Um, when we moved, we did both. So we sold tons of stuff online, but then we also did one big moving sale. The nice thing about just doing a one day moving sale is like it's one day in and out, you're done. People can see stuff, but and it also just cuts down on all of that back and forth that you get with online sales and people not showing up and then people showing up to look at it and not wanting it. And all of that can just be really stressful. And so Depending on what your timeline looks like, it can just be a little bit easier to plan that one-day yard sale or garage sale. Um, it's also worth looking to see if you have any community sales coming up, so some sort of event where there's going to be multiple sales, which will help you just get more traffic in and out, or checking to see if you have any neighbors that want to go in on a sale with you. Pretty typical garage sale advice right there. <laughs> I think we just got our very first Walter Bark in a podcast episode. He made it all the way 
all the way to episode eight before barking. So, okay. So now you've done the preparation. You've kind of done your research. You're ready to sort, which is kind of the fun part for me, but not fun for everyone. So it's normal to feel overwhelmed by the idea of getting rid of things and the amount of work that it might take to declutter your home. And so my first tip here is to focus on doing one area or one room at a time. This is one thing that you can avoid looking at the big project, if that makes sense. It is beneficial to kind of put the blinders on and try to just focus on what is right in front of you. Go closet by closet, room by room, day by day, whatever it takes, and just reference that schedule that you made to keep yourself on track. My next tip here is to start a basket of supplies. And this sounds so basic, but it's just, you know, get a little tub or a little basket and put everything in there that you might need when you're sorting through and kind of decluttering stuff. Examples might be like packing tape, scissors, markers, labels, string, price tags, all of those little things that you're going to waste time kind of running around the house looking for. And when you're in a phase of decluttering or moving or relocating, your house can kind of be all over the place anyways. So by keeping these things that you need regularly in one area, it just really helps you, one, not waste time running around looking for it, and two, just motivates you to kind of get this decluttering work done in little chunks of time, even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes um, at different times throughout the day. If you have all this stuff in a little basket and ready to roll, it makes it a lot more appealing. Trust me. It was really nice to just have this when we were downsizing and know that I had this little basket I could grab, run downstairs, go through that one closet or drawer, and I had everything I needed. My next tip here, and this is a big one that was so helpful when we were moving, and I really recommend it, but I recommend that you designate spaces in your home for each potential category that an item could fall under. So depending, again, on the scope of your project, you might just have two categories. Maybe you just have a keep pile and a sell pile, or you might have several. When we moved, I think I had like five. And so since the lower level of our home was pretty empty, um, I just designated five different areas down there and I put out a blanket. And then on each blanket, I taped a sign that said what it, what, what it was. And so if something got placed on that blanket, that's how it was categorized. So this was super specific, super visual and super organized, but it made such a difference um, for us. And because it was so visual and like laid out there, it was also easy for Josh to go through a room, sort things the way he thought they should be. And then for me to go and like kind of look it over and be like, you know, you could just see everything on the blanket. Like this is all going to goodwill. This is all being donated to, donated to the refugee project. This stuff is garbage and needs to be taken to the recycling center. This stuff is for the moving sale. This stuff is being sold online. So kind of categorize things. And I guess I kind of just went through them, but some examples would be things that are going to be donated. And you could even break those down into specific types of donations. Um, Things that you're going to sell online, things that you're going to label for your moving sale, things that are being given away to certain people. So like we had things that were going to my mom's house or my grandma's house or things we were giving to our friends before we moved. Um, So you might have a giveaway pile and then also like a garbage pile. So again, for me, having blankets set out and labeled was really helpful. And I liked that they weren't boxes. So stuff wasn't just getting thrown in a box. Again, it was really visual and easy to see. If you're limited on space in your home, you could also consider clearing out your garage for, you know, a couple days or a couple weeks and using that as kind of the sorting zone. The benefit there is that then it's already kind of out of the house and ready to be loaded up and taken out or ready for the garage sale. So that's kind of nice. 
But ultimately, again, I just think like this very organized visual representation of where things go just helps you move through the process quickly. And then it can also help get other people involved. So maybe outside of just your spouse, but having a parent or sibling or even your kids helping you, um, it just makes it easier. It kind of makes it a two-person job. You know, you make the decision on it. Someone else is able to take it and carry it and set it where it's supposed to go. So kind of simple. Okay. So we're already moving on to the third section here. But we've done kind of the preparation thing. We've talked about how to prepare. We've talked about now how to kind of start the sorting process. And now is the part that most of us struggle with the most. Actually making the decisions about what to keep, what to donate, what's garbage. This is something that was so hard for me, especially when we had a big house, because it was just so easy for me to think like, I don't love this thing and I rarely ever use it, but we have space for it. So I'll just stick this in the guest bedroom closet or I'll stick it in this empty cupboard in the kitchen, you know? So if we have the space, we tend to fill it up. That's just the way we function. And it just doesn't motivate us to get rid of stuff. And God forbid that we ever had like an empty closet somewhere. (laughs) But don't worry if you feel like you're in this boat where you have a really hard time getting rid of things. I have a few tips for helping you make those hard decisions. So when it comes to houseware items, I think about functionality. And this is probably most obvious in your kitchen. And that is definitely the room where where I personally felt like I had the most unnecessary clutter. So an example that I will give you is now in our kitchen, I have a mason jar. Okay. And I'm not saying like we only own a mason jar, but this is just one example. So I have a mason jar. It's like an old, a jar that we bought of peanut butter or something, emptied it out, recycled the jar. And I just keep it handy because I can use it as a storage container, kind of like Tupperware. I can use it as a cocktail shaker. So we no longer own a cocktail shaker. Um, I use it as a way to shake up and store salad dressing. So I make most dressings that I put on salads or grain bowls or rice bowls and all that. So I can use this jar for mixing those up and for storing them in the fridge. Um, I use it as a way to make protein or collagen shakes. So instead of using like a blender or a shake mixer thing, I just shake them in the jar with some ice. Um, Can also use it as a container for taking water with me. So instead of having like a water bottle, can just use the mason mason jar. And if I'm being honest, sometimes it's not wine, sometimes or sometimes it's not water, <laughs> sometimes it's wine in there. Um, so I've used the little jar to kind of take wine with us on a picnic or whatever. So when you're thinking about that, like how many items did I just replace in your kitchen and how much space would you gain by doing something like that? I think I named at least like six or seven things. So when you're thinking about houseware items, think about functionality. Obviously, things that can serve multiple purposes are better than ones that can't. And another thing that I realized going through this was that I had tons of specialized devices that were never getting used. An example of this would be like this special vegetable type cutter thing that could do like julienne. Is that what that's called? I don't know. Like julienning. My friend Jansen is going to hear this episode and like cringe at me for not knowing what that word is. Um, But for like doing different fancy cuts on vegetables. I don't know what it's called. See, I don't even know what it's called. So why did I own? the stupid thing. Anyway, I had this huge contraption. I never took it out. I was cutting up the vegetables with a knife like a normal person, but had this huge contraption that was taking up like a cupboard, you know? Um, So just kind of realizing that sometimes those 
fancy specialized items are not really worth it in the long run and getting rid of them and simplifying things. Um, I also think it's funny when I think back to how many utensils and knives we used to own and when we were kind of going through and downsizing them. Josh and I realized that each one of us had like one knife that we really liked and preferred for basically all cutting. And so we had a drawer full of knives, but we were both each just using the one that we liked the most. And we had a whole drawer of utensils and each of us had like the one spatula that we liked the most and the one spoon that we liked the most. And so we got rid of tons of those. Um, Let's see. What's the other one? Glassware. Glassware was another one where it was like, why do we have all like all these glasses for water, all these glasses for juice, wine glasses, specialized beer glasses, different types of cocktail glasses. It's like I understand that in like some sort of fancy society where I have weekly dinner parties or something, we're supposed to have all this stemware. Um, But functionally, it's just kind of ridiculous and it takes up so much space and again, energy and time. So you know what? We got rid of like all of our glasses. We kept a couple mugs each. We have just a very standard style of glass that can work for any type of drink. And I think getting rid of glasses was like one of the best parts of moving, honestly. What a waste of space. So what I'm saying here with houseware items is just be critical of what's taking up space, not just in the kitchen, but the living room, the office, the garage. Hold the item in your hand and think about whether it is serving a purpose on a regular basis because if it isn't, it is not worth keeping. You should probably throw it out or think about replacing it with something that's more multifunctional, like a mason jar. (laughs) Okay, my second tip here is when it comes to decor, think about joy. And this is kind of based off that one book, which the title I cannot think of right now, but I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. But Admittedly, I have grown to really prefer a clean, simple interior, and I understand that not all of us are in that boat, which is fine. Some of us love 20 throw pillows on the bed and a doily, you know, under every lamp. Um, I get it. But my method now is just to try really hard not to purchase items for our home that aren't meaningful and aren't something that we love or something that is a memory or a keepsake from maybe a trip we took. Now, this doesn't mean that everything we own is expensive, quite the opposite, probably. I mean, I've totally fallen in love with like a print or a throw pillow at H&M that costs $10. It just means that I'm not buying things just to fill an empty wall or because Pinterest made me think that I needed a vase of fake peonies. I'm just spending money on items that I love, ones that bring me joy when I look at them, um, just things that I really like. So... Just remember that when you purchase things, you're spending money on them. They're taking up space in your home. So pick out things that you truly love, things that truly have meaning, that truly bring you joy when you look at them. Or when you have to pick them up or dust them, right? Because everything we own, we have to take care of. So when you purchase stuff, just make sure that you really, truly love it and that it brings you joy. And that's kind of the aspect I take when I'm thinking about decor items. Now, when it comes to clothing, I try to think about quality over quantity, but I want to go into this in a lot more detail. And I might get a little long-winded on this point, so forgive me, but cutting down on my clothing was a huge undertaking. Fortunately, but also unfortunately, I guess, I've been pretty much the same size in clothing and shoes since I was in like ninth grade, high school probably. So if I had room for it, 
I could talk myself into keeping it. And that resulted in just having, you know, being in my late 20s and having this gigantic walk-in closet that was packed like to the brim with way too many clothes, most of which I didn't like and hadn't worn in years. So in our old house, we had this big walk-in closet. Now we each just have a small standing wardrobe. And if you want to see this, I have it on my Instagram highlights under fashion. If you want to see my tiny European closet and how few clothes I own, head there. But again, like when we moved to Denmark, we only brought nine boxes with us and all of our clothes, shoes, coats, boots, all of that, it had to fit within that. And so we really couldn't bring very much with us. And I had to get rid of so much of the clothes that I owned. And yeah, and this was probably, if I'm being completely honest, I mean, just saying that kind of made me like get flustered. It was probably the hardest part for me. And the method that I learned and kind of adapted is called the GPA method. And I think that this method is pretty genius, but I'm not going to take credit for it. Um, I don't really know who to give credit for it because I feel like it kind of evolved out of a community of people. But you'll see a lot of minimalist capsule wardrobe type bloggers and influencers talking about this method. I'm going to break it down for you a little bit. So you start off by thinking of your wardrobe as having a GPA, so a grade point average. And hopefully we all kind of understand what that is. But just like in high school, you want to have your GPA be around a 4.0 or as close to 4.0 as possible, right? So when you have a piece of clothing, you're holding it in your hand or you're trying it on and looking in the mirror, what you want to do is give that item a score from zero to four. Does it go zero to four or one to four? Geez, what is my GPA? <laughs> anyway, we'll say zero to four. So give it a score from zero to four and just think about the fact that you want to maintain that 4.0 average. And so if you have something on and you're like, this doesn't really fit me or I don't really love this color or I don't know if this looks good and you're thinking it's like a three or a 3.5, that's bringing down your average. So the goal is to have a wardrobe that is a 4.0 because if something isn't a 4.0, if it doesn't fit you great, look great and make you feel great, why are you keeping it? You know, why do you have a closet full of 3.5s? And now this is not to say that everything you keep should be expensive. That's not the point at all. I found plenty of 4.0 items at thrift stores, at H&M, at Old Navy. It doesn't matter what they cost. An item is high quality. It is a 4.0 if it makes you feel like a million bucks. Okay, so you want everything in your closet to be a 4.0 or as close to a 4.0 as possible. If it's bringing down that score, why is it worth keeping? So I applied this strategy to every area of my closet, including pajamas, workout clothes, clothes for, you know, painting in, whatever. So many of us, I think, end up with like an entire drawer of old t-shirts, like every t-shirt we had in high school and college. Like, why do we keep those? We end up with drawers of clothes that we call our pajamas and workout clothes and chore clothes and I think that's fine. Like we need some of these, but do we really need 20 or 30 pairs of pajamas or 20 old t-shirts? Um, why not just keep the ones that you really love? And so I applied this to every as aspect of my closet. At the end of the day, I only kept two sets of pajamas. Um, so I don't know. The GPA method, it was super helpful to me, not only with cutting down my closet and figuring out which pieces I really loved, but I've also noticed that it has helped me so much with shopping because I don't just go out and buy stuff anymore. I really think about how it looks and how I feel in it and how much I'm going to wear it. And I just buy a lot, a lot less stuff because I don't want to buy anything if it's not a 4.0, you know, because I don't want them to lower my score. I'm competitive. So like, I don't want it to lower my closets 4.0. 
Um, but I also know that if I buy this shirt that's a 3.8 today, someday it's going to end up in that pile. And it's not only is it a waste of money for me, but now it's also a burden and it's going to take up my my time again because now I have to get rid of it or donate it or sell it online. Um, so it's just, it helped me reduce my wardrobe. It really helped me make sense of my wardrobe, figure out what I loved and what I feel good in, kind of discover my personal style. But then it has also just really helped me draw back on purchasing stuff and helping me, I guess, just avoid purchasing stuff that I don't really love and really need. All right. Last one under this is when it comes to sentimental things, set boundaries. And items that we would label as sentimental, I think it tends to be one of the biggest sources of clutter in our homes. And I'm talking about, you know, those boxes that your parents made you take when you graduated from college and got your own place. And they're finally like, hey, come get all these boxes out of the attic. Um, We all end up with a few of those Um, things like your wedding dress or dresses from weddings you've been in, um, boxes of childhood toys, books, just all of that stuff. And I think when we move, when we downsize, we had so much of this stuff. I think I would, if I had to venture a guess, I would say we each had like four big Rubbermaid tubs full of this type of like memorabilia junk. And what we did, what kind of helped us, I guess, was we just said, there's no point in having more than one tub of this. Um, and so we both got rid of everything except one tub that could be easily stored. And even one tub, I think, when you think about it, is a lot. When you think about the fact that, like, this is something that you're going to have to store for the rest of your life. You're going to have to keep lugging it around and moving it. It's costing you physical and mental time and energy. So one tub, I think, is still a lot. Um, I would love to say that we don't have any of it. But at the same time, it's like you want to keep some memories. I think the historian in me, you know, I have a lot of heirloom type items. And that means a lot to me. And I think that's kind of the secret there is recognizing what is an actual heirloom and what just kind of becomes junk. And another thing I like to think about here is longevity. Um, Some stuff is just not meant to keep forever. Um, And an example of this is like I danced for most of my life. And for some reason, I was obsessed with keeping like every pair of shoes and every costume that I had for every dance recital. And so I had some of these, you know, when we were getting rid of stuff three years ago or whatever, some of these were like 25 years old or more because I started dancing when I was like four. So I had like these 30-year-old costumes. And for the most part, dance costumes are not made from high-quality material. They tend to be, you know, cheap, cheap material, a lot of elastic and spandex and stuff. So everything had like lost its elasticity. It's just fabric that's not meant to last that long. And so there was no point in keeping it. Um, so I ended up getting rid of it. I just kept a few pairs of point shoes and like the tutu from my senior year, the things that really meant a lot to me. And so it wasn't easy. I'm not going to act like this part is easy. It's hard. But at the end of the day, once you kind of cut it down, you go from the four tubs of stuff to the one tub of stuff. You feel so good knowing that you just have this one tub of memories of stuff that's like really, really important to you, really memorable, really high quality stuff. And you feel like you've just kind of curated your life up until that point into this one little box. And it does feel really good to get it done. But I'm going to admit it wasn't easy. But just try to think about boundaries. You know, set some boundaries with what you're going to keep and what you aren't. (sighs) Okay, you guys. So I think that's pretty much it. I think that's all I really have to say about the whole downsizing thing. Like I said, I just wanted to give you some ideas of a place to start to kind of declutter your home. 
And if you're interested, we can do an episode sometime about online selling and moving and kind of processes and planning that can surround those things to make them easier. I'm going to end this episode by just going through each one of those sections again, um, preparation, sorting, and decision making to just kind of go through the highlight reel here to keep it fresh in your mind. So when it comes to preparation, one, get a calendar and set clear goals for what you want to accomplish by certain days, weeks, months. Number two, look into the best places to donate certain types of items to make it easier to part with them. Three, research online sale groups and the best websites for selling things in your area. And four, consider having a moving sale and decide on a potential date for that. When it comes to actually sorting through stuff, tip number one, avoid looking at the big picture. Take things one closet one day or one week at a time. Tip number two, create a supply basket with all the little things that you're going to need and keep it on hand throughout the entire process. Tip number three, create designated spaces in your home for each category that a given item could fall into. When it comes to making the decisions, when it comes to houseware items, think about functionality. When it comes to decor, think about the joy that those items bring to you. When it comes to clothing, think about quality over quantity and use the GPA method to curate your wardrobe. And number four, when it comes to sentimental things, set boundaries. All right. So I hope that this was helpful. (laughs) As I said at the beginning, this was just focused on the process of sorting and minimizing your belongings. But I do have several blog posts on my website about moving and tips for kind of having a stress-free moving process. So if you're in that boat where you are relocating or selling your home, head to the show notes for today to get linked up to those blog posts. As always, you can find all the show notes from past episodes over at planpodcast.com. And it is so hard to believe that we are already coming up on the holidays and that 2018 is nearly over. Kind of blows my mind. But Josh and I are going to be traveling over the next couple weeks as we go into New Year's. And I'm kind of viewing this vacation as an opportunity to relax and also an opportunity to spend some time writing out notes for future episodes so we can kind of hit the ground running in 2019. So I will be off from the podcast over the holidays and the next episode of Plan Podcast will be live on January 10th. However, (laughs) this podcast just keeps going and going. But if you're still listening, I'm glad because I do have an exciting thing coming up in January. I host it every single January and it's always a lot of fun. It's called the seven page challenge. And all it is is a seven page challenge that asks you to fill out my daily page every day for seven days every day for seven days. Yep, that's how it goes. Um, So you fill it out every day. We connect through the Facebook group and on Instagram and just kind of keep each other accountable. We track our hydration, do some meal planning, talk about goal setting. So if that sounds like a fun way for you to kind of kick off 2019, I'm doing it January 7th through the 14th. So again, it's fun. It's free. It's hosted online. It's kind of come and go as you please. Participate however much you want. Um, But it's just some good accountability to kind of get the year started. So you can participate through the Facebook group, The Time is Honey Hive, and you can find the link to that in today's show notes. Okay, so thanks again for tuning in. I really hope that this episode is helpful, and I am looking forward to talking with you again on January 10th. Have a very Merry Christmas, many, many happy holidays, and a very, very happy New Year. 
thank you for tuning in and making some plans with us today. You can find the show notes for all episodes over at planpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to tell someone about it by sharing this episode with them and taking a moment to rate us and review us in the App Store. Don't forget, we've got plans next week, and we will see you then.